This is the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. You've been listening to the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. Our messages are archived at www.eldochurch.com or to order compact discs or DVD videos of the messages, call the church at 417-876-2200. Thank you for listening. Well, I've got a great Father's Day gift of having my daughter sing with me today. And this this isn't easy for her, so I know it's out of her comfort zone, but she was willing to do it this morning, so I, th- I thank her for that.
Good job. Thank you, Megan, Darren. Just this uh, will make me sound like an old man again, of which I'm not. Um, but just, uh, Megan, uh, remember when we dedicated her a few years ago and she screamed the whole time, <laughs> was not happy, and I'm glad she's not screaming today up on stage. Acts chapter 1 will provide the, the uh, foundation for the majority of our study, and, and if you're really quick, you can also be in, in Matthew chapter 16. Uh, we'll be reading several scriptures, but if, if you want to just keep your Bibles open to uh, Acts chapters 1 and 2, that uh, you'll, you'll be pretty safe there. I don't know what comes to your mind when you hear the word church. Maybe you immediately think of a building or a denomination. Maybe you think of the words boring, hypocrites, waste of time, a show. Uh, regardless of your response uh, to the word church, my hunch is that it's a far cry from what people thought in the first century. Um, because really in the first century church wasn't even remotely close to what it's become today the church wasn't a building it wasn't an institution it wasn't a denomination it wasn't about tradition it wasn't about liturgy it wasn't about beautiful stained glass windows there were no hymnals shock there were no bibles no praise bands no padded pews no donuts and the worst thing about the early church, and I don't know how they even functioned, but there was no coffee in the church. <laughs> From the very, very beginning, church was a movement. And it was a movement centered around an event that today pretty much only gets talked about once a year. The church was launched around the, his, the historical event that we call the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now today we want to begin a new series entitled Doing Church God's Way. And, and, and this series was partially born out of my prayer time, but, but also just to bear my soul, this series was born out of my dissatisfaction with the way that we do church in America. And I know that sounds kind of strange for a pastor to say that, especially a pastor that loves what he does, and, and especially a pastor that loves the church and the people he serves. But I have to admit, just kind of opening my heart to you, that there's something within me that from time to time just recoils at what the church has become. And when I say church, I'm, I'm not just referring to our local church, but I'm talking about the general church across America. It's a far cry from what the church started out as in the New Testament. Now, please know that this is not going to be a series where we bash the church. Not at all. Again, I love the church of Jesus Christ. But I do think that we strayed away from the original design of the church. And, and so my goal during this series is to go to the New Testament and try to get a glimpse of the first century church. And, and even though the first century church wasn't perfect, yet it's far from where we are today. And, and we're going to maybe rethink church and perhaps even redefine in our hearts what church is supposed to be. And, I'll just tell you, I'm excited about this series that will be taken, as, as I said, largely from the book of Acts. And, and I know I did a series about the book of Acts some years ago, and I will be taking some information from that series, but I will be drawing from other resources as well. 
You know, for example, this week I've drawn from some historical websites as well as some linguistic websites. I've, I've drawn from Andy Stanley, Adrian Rogers, and believe it or not, there's a little bit of Joe Trussell in here. And, and then I called my good friends, the Caters, and asked them about a German word that I will be referencing here in just a little bit. So there will be a lot of resources that I will use, but, but the main resource for our study will be God's word. And more specifically, again, the book of Acts. And so if God will help me, and, and if you will please, please, please pray extra hard for me, we will hopefully gain some insight into the early church. Okay. As we begin to help lay the foundation, I want to give you a little Greek lesson. And, you know, when I was in Bible college, I took three years of Greek, and it's still Greek to me. So, uh, But let me just give you a little tiny lesson Many of you know that the New Testament was originally written in Greek. And so here's a word that you find 115 times in the New Testament. It's the word ekklesia. In fact, let's just say it together. Ekklesia on the count of three. One, two, three. Ekklesia. Isn't it fun to say, let's say it again. One, two, three. Ekklesia. Now, what does ekklesia mean? Well, ekklesia is the Greek word that most Bibles have translated church. But I want us to know, and this is super, super important, that the word ecclesia doesn't really mean church in the sense that we've come to understand church. The word ecclesia more accurately means an assembly or a gathering. When the church was launched in the New Testament, it was launched as a gathering or an assembly or we could say a movement. But something terrible happened in history. The concept of the New Testament ecclesia changed. As, as time went on, a transition took place. The concept of ecclesia transitioned from the idea of a movement to a building. It went from a gathering to a hierarchy. And that little word, ecclesia, meaning a gathering or an assembly or a movement that really couldn't be any more clear, evolved into something drastically different. And this change was represented by a German word. And, and I did some research on this word, and then I actually just called Irene Cater. And, and this change from the original concept of ecclesia being an, an assembly or a gathering began to be represented by the English derivative of the German word Kirche. And I may not be 100% on that, but anyway, pretty close. And this German word for church literally, and try to track with me because... This is really important. This German word for church literally means the Lord's house. Kirche. And I'm not going to bore you with all of the history here, but essentially within just 300 years after the birth of the church, the idea of a gathering or a movement or an assembly had transitioned to the idea of church being a building, the Lord's house. Now, initially, that sounds spiritual. That, that's pretty impressive. You know, we say, well, I'm going to the Lord's house. I said that. You probably said that. That's impressive. But this very incorrect linguistic translation resulted in some horrible theology. And the church that was supposed to be a movement and an assembly and a gathering now became a building, even if it was called the Lord's house. 
And here's what that led to, a whole lot of control in the church. A hierarchy developed and, and be, that, that began to control. And whoever controlled the building began to control the church. And whoever controlled the building began to control the Scripture. And whoever controlled the building and controlled the Scripture controlled the people. And even in some segments of Europe, whoever controlled the building and controlled the Scripture and controlled the people also controlled the government. And so what began as a movement of spreading the gospel around the world became a very insider-focused, a hierarchical, ritualistic, and even in some cases pagan, immoral, destructive, unethical movement that had a very distorted view of the original concept of ecclesia, which, remember, was supposed to be a gathering, an assembly, a movement. Let me just insert this. I believe that that distortion that began... uh, back in 300 A.D. is part of the reason why some people continue to turn their backs on the local church. Because now the church is an organization that's more centered and and, and, and as building-centered, as man-centered, it's centered around us, our needs, rather than being centered around the fact that Jesus had resurrected from the dead. That's the bad. But then something good happened in the early 1500s. A man came to the forefront in England by the name of William Tyndale. In fact, if you were here Easter morning, I actually mentioned his name during our Easter service. But William Tyndale was a linguistic scholar. And during that period of time, regular people like us had no access to the Scriptures. People had to go to church and they would listen to a priest read from a translation of the Scripture. And it was generally in a form that included Latin words that the common person could not understand. And... Again, here's what takes place when you only have a select few that can read and understand the word. They begin to control and they begin to manipulate the truth. There's no accountability. And so William Tyndale decided he had had enough of that. He felt it was time to translate the Bible from the original Hebrew and Greek text into English, which of course would open the door to millions of people having access to the truth of God's word. Well, as you can only imagine, the church leaders who had grown powerful because, remember those few who had access to the Word of God, they controlled the Scriptures, they controlled the church, they controlled the people. So when William Tyndale set out to get the Scriptures into the hands of common people, the leaders went ballistic. And because of that, William Tyndale basically became an outlaw. He had to leave England to save his life. He fled to Germany where he continued to do his translation work. And and thanks to Gutenberg, who had invented the printing press nearly 100 years earlier, Tyndale was able to begin to begin mass production of the Bible in English. and, And he began to smuggle them into England. And suddenly, this is so huge. Suddenly, the average person had the means to possess a copy of the Bible in a language they could understand. Wow. Well, Tyndale was eventually betrayed by a friend. He was brought back to England and tried for being a heretic. They proclaimed him to be the number one enemy of the church. They hanged him and then burned his body. And remember who did this. This was done by the church. 
by the leaders of the church. Do you see how the original concept of ecclesia that was to be a gathering, an assembly united around the resurrection of Jesus Christ had become so messed up to where the church leaders would hang someone that just wanted to get the scriptures into the hands of common people. Do you see how messed up the church was? So William Tyndale became a martyr of the faith. But it was too late, ladies and gentlemen, because the word of God was out. And the church that thought in terms of controlling the truth and controlling the people began to gradually lose its power because the average person could now read the scriptures in their own language and see the error of the leaders that were manipulating, controlling the truth. And it was interesting that during uh, William Tyndale's trial, he made several famous statements, and and here's just one of them. But he he said this to the religious leaders of his day, And it's in old English, but I think you'll understand it. If God spares my life ere many years, I will cause a boy that driveth the plow to know more of the scriptures than thou dost. (laughs) Isn't that awesome? You know, you're saying to the leaders, you know what? If God will spare my life long enough, I'm going to get a translation in the hands of common people where they could understand it. And a farm boy will know more about the scriptures than you religious leaders do. And, and something else, one of the things that drove the church leaders absolutely wild is that as William Tyndale was translating the scriptures into English, when he got to the little Greek word ecclesia, he didn't translate it with the German derivative version of Kirche, you know, the word that basically meant the Lord's house that we're impressed with. We're going to the Lord's house, meaning a building. But in, in the copy of the New Testament, when he translated, when he got to the word ecclesia, he put the word congregation in there. It was his attempt to return the church back to a gathering of God's people that would be a growing multicultural, multi-ethnic, mission-centered movement around uh, uh, of people around one single event in history, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's my introduction, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) But I wanted to make sure that you understood these very important events that form part of the history. It's a rich history of the church of Jesus Christ. Now, we want to go to God's word and, and try to lay the foundation not only for this lesson today, but we're going to try to lay the foundation for this series. And Before we go to the book of Acts, I want us to turn to Matthew's gospel. And and if you can't find it really fast, that's okay. Just stay in Acts. But there's an incident where Jesus gathered his disciples together and he asked them an interesting question. And and that's a question that you better not ask your friends if you're insecure. He asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And in, in plain terminology, he would say, what's the word on the street about me? When people talk about me, what do they say about me? And and again, don't ask that question if you're really insecure because you may not be pleased with what you hear. Well, one of his disciples said this. "Um, Some people think you're a reincarnated John the Baptist. Another one said, well, others think you're a reincarnated version version of some Old Testament prophet. But Peter, remember, the outspoken one said, Jesus, let me just tell you who I think you are. (laughs) 
He said, I think you're the Messiah. I think you're the son of the living God. And that pleased Jesus. And, and, and this is what he said in Matthew chapter 16, verse 17. Jesus replied, you know, after Peter had said this, he said, you're blessed, Simon, son of John, because my father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Now I say to you that you are Peter. And upon this rock, I will build my church, ecclesia. I will build my gathering, my assembly, my movement. And I love this. And all the powers of hell will not conquer it. Wow. So I know I'm being redundant and this is on purpose. I'll say it a couple more times today. But ecclesia or church was not to be about a building. It was about a powerful movement centered around the greatest event in history. And that was the resurrection of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Well, not too long after Jesus asked who people said he was, Jesus was crucified. And on the third day, he rose from the dead. And he spent about 40 days with some of his followers. Well, at the end of 40 days, he gathered some of them on a hillside. And he gave them his final instructions. And in Matthew, we call that the Great Commission. But Acts also gives us a version of Christ's final instructions. And he predicts, and this is so amazingly cool, he predicts the beginning of the church. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Oh, for... Wow, wouldn't it be amazing for the Holy Spirit to just descend upon us? But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And this is the part I want to emphasize. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And... Now, I know we can't get inside their minds to know exactly what they were thinking 2,000 years ago, but can we try? Let's try. About a hundred of them are standing with a man whom Rome had crucified a month and a half earlier, and he'd come back to life, and he's walking around and talking with people, and he says, here's what's going to happen. You're going to take my teaching, and and the fact that you're eyewitnesses of the resurrection, you're going to take it, and, and he begins to list several places they're going to take it. First of all, he says, you're going to take it to Jerusalem, and, and maybe those that are standing there, they, they look at each other and say, Jerusalem? Okay, we can do Jerusalem, that's where we are. And then he continues on and says, well, you're also going to take it to Judea, and, and maybe say, ah, a little bit out of the way, but doable. Again, you, you're not going to find this in Scripture, but reading between the line, lines. This is the book according to St. Joseph there. <laughs> and then Jesus goes on and says, you're also going to take it to Samaria. And, and I wonder if they didn't roll their eyes and say, we don't like them. They're half-breeds. We're prejudiced. We'll just be up front. We don't like them. But we'll think about that one and pray about it, Lord. <laughs> Bless their hearts, Yes. <laughs> But then Jesus blew them away and he says, you're also going to take this to the ends of the earth. And no doubt they looked at each other and maybe shook their heads and thought, the ends of the earth. Jesus, time out. Do you even know how big the world is? To which Jesus could have said, yeah, I made it. (laughs) But he didn't. But what he was saying is that this message, this movement, this gathering, this assembly was going to touch every single part of the world, beginning in Jerusalem, going to Judea, on to Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. Well, shortly after those final instructions, Jesus ascended up into the heavens and 
And this little group of 120 people were confused again. I mean, what was going on? Jesus died, then he came back to life. Now he disappeared up into the heaven. So in their confusion, it's interesting what they did. They went back into the city of Jerusalem. You know what they did? They began to pray together. That's kind of a novel idea. They began to pray together. And we'll talk about that more next week. But, but did they ever pray? The, the Bible said they prayed continually for days. And, and then something amazing happened. Jewish people and converts to Judaism had come to Jerusalem from over a dozen different regions in the world to celebrate the festival of the Passover. And, and Scripture says that while those 120 were praying together on the day that we now refer to as the day of Pentecost, suddenly the Holy Spirit showed up in a powerful way just as Jesus predicted. And the whole, and the overflowing of the Holy Spirit manifested himself in such a way that these individual followers of Jesus, listen, suddenly were able to speak the language of all these people who had gathered in Jerusalem for that particular festival. Wow. And there was all this excitement and, and people were saying all kinds of things and, and some were confused. They said, are these people drunk? Others were saying, no, 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 it's too early in the morning for that. They're not drunk. They're not babbling under the influence of alcohol because, listen carefully, listen. They're speaking my language. It's a language. How is it that these Galileans are able to speak our language? That's a miracle. There was quite the buzz around town that day. And please understand this. This event was huge. The day of Pentecost was significant for several reasons. And I could, I could spend really several weeks here on this. But it, but it was huge for several reasons. But one is that it showed that the gospel was not just for one language group. It was not just for one particular people. It was multinational. It was multi-ethnic. It was multicultural. Just as Jesus had predicted to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. And Jesus had described it saying that it was going to be a gathering, an assembly, a movement. It was going to be an ecclesia. Well, Peter stood up and he began to preach the very first sermon on the very first day of the existence of the church. That's not fair. Wouldn't that be awesome to do that? And this was the grand opening of the ecclesia. And Peter basically preached the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And, and this is such an important part of the understanding of Christianity. These first century believers, and, and if you've been dozing, wake up right now for this one statement. Then you go back to sleep if you want. But these first century believers were not simply teaching what Jesus taught. Christianity wasn't about embracing a teaching. You understand that, don't you? I hope you do. Too many people look at it that way. But, but Christianity is not a, about embracing a teaching. Christianity from the very outset was about embracing a person. And an event in history. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. And these people on the day of Pentecost were saying, we're witnesses to the fact that Jesus was crucified. And we're witnesses of the fact that he came back to life not years ago, but actually a little over a month ago. And so Peter preached Christ crucified, raised from the dead. And that right there, ladies and gentlemen, was the topic of the opening sermon on the opening day of the church, the ecclesia of Jesus Christ. But here we are. 
in 2017, most of us fail to really understand the word church because when we say the word church, you know what we think? Yeah, I go to the church there on Park Street. Or, yeah, I haven't been in church for a while. I need to get back into church. Or, yeah, I need to find myself a church. And, yeah, I need to get my family in church. And, or, I don't like my church. Or, I do like my church. I, I, I'm just telling you, just so you know, on the opening day of the church, those statements would not have made a bit of sense. Because the church was a gathering of people centered around the person of Jesus Christ who had resurrected from the dead. And there was a power that would thrust that message, the gospel, to the ends of the earth. And then Peter said something that I found very interesting. You know what? Until, until now, I had never really picked up on this. But this is such an awesome, such an awesome verse. In Acts chapter 2, verse 38, Peter replied, Repent and be baptized. Yeah, I've caught that. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And here's what I want you to pick up on because I I know I'm slow, but it it took me uh, 57 years for me to actually pick up on this. The promise is for you and your children. And here's the phrase, for all who are far off. What? The promise is for you and your children and and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. Now, Do you know who the all who are far off is? It's you. It's me. It's our children. It's our grandchildren. It's our parents who embrace Christianity. And really, this was Peter's way of saying, you know, this isn't just a Jerusalem thing. It's not just an us thing. It isn't a generational thing. It isn't just for white people in their 50s that live in the Bible Belt. It's not just for Americans. It's not just for a certain socioeconomic class. This movement, this message, and all the supernatural power that was there on the day of Pentecost. It's for us. It's for our children. It's for our grandchildren. All who are far off, far off geographically. All who are far off in the calendar timeline. This is something that's going to reach people who haven't even been born yet in places that don't know anything about Jesus Christ. All who are far off. Well, then after Peter's message, they had their first altar call. You know, most of us in this part of the country grew up in church with altar calls. You know, where you saying just as I am or almost persuaded and and I don't mean this disrespectfully, but, but the pastor tried to scare hell out of you and heaven into you. You know, just, you know, get get the hell out and bring heaven into you and again i don't mean it disrespectfully but that that's kind of what we pastors sometimes do but but you know here at this gathering they didn't sing a hymn peter didn't tell any scary stories to get people to respond there was so much passion there was so much anointing so much conviction do you want to know how the crowd responded in acts chapter 2 verse 41 those who believed what peter said were baptized and added to the church and remember the church is not a building rather a movement it's an assembly said about about 3,000 in all came to know Christ that day. Oh, for passion and anointing and a response like that. 3,000 were added to the church that one day, opening day. 3,000 were baptized. Do you know how long it would take to baptize 3,000 people? Especially if they all had to shoot a video with their cell phones. (laughs) 
And can you imagine the talk around town? I mean, this wasn't a huge city in those days. So 3,000 people suddenly converting to Christianity was big. You see, from the very beginning, the church was founded on a big God. From the very beginning, big things happened. From the beginning, there was big power. From the beginning, there was a big response. And I know some people don't like big churches. And if you don't like big churches, that's okay. But you would not have enjoyed opening day of the church. In fact, you may not enjoy heaven either. But that's going to be your problem. Because it's going to be big. There are going to be a lot of people there. <laughs> Sometimes we think of heaven, well, it's just us few. It's just going to be this little remnant that's going to make it. No, there are going to be millions upon millions upon millions. You know, from different tribes, different races, different language groups. We're going to be gathered. It's going to be big, folks. And if you don't like a big church, I'm sorry, but you better get used to it. Because from the very beginning, from the very beginning, the ecclesia was big. Big movement, big power, big response. But anyway, those 3,000 people, they said, we believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and we want to repent of our sins and be baptized. Well, 2,000 years later, do you know what the common denominator is for all Christians around the world? It's not the way we worship. It's not our music. It's not the way we think in terms of our traditions. It's not the way we dress. Do I go there? You know, uh, in Myanmar, where they're meeting, a lot of the men will be meeting, coming to church in skirts. Man, I'm glad I don't live in Myanmar. No, Dick, don't even go there, okay? It's not... The common denominator, uh, common denominator of the church of Jesus Christ is not the way we dress. It's not the way we do communion. It's not the way we do baptism. Some dunk, some pour, some sprinkle. Uh, it's not our theology. You know, in this building here this morning, we differ on our theology in a lot of areas. You know what? The common denominator, it, it's not our doctrine. These are not common denominators in Christianity, but the point of common ground for those of us that calls, call ourselves followers of Jesus Christ is we believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And He rose from the dead. And His death paid for the sins of all who believe. That's the common denominator. That's what brings us together. That's what the church was launched over right there. So again, don't forget that the church of Jesus Christ was not about a location. There was no location. The church wasn't for church people because there weren't any church people. It wasn't about a tradition or a style or a way of doing anything because there was none of that. There was none of this saying, we've never done it this way before. But there was a power to the gospel of Jesus. And that power is continuing to take the gospel to the ends of the earth and and since opening day of the church, there have been missionaries, there have been Bible translators, there have been evangelists, there have been Bible smugglers, and, and some even here, I know Matt Miller and others have been involved in smuggling Bibles in, and 
There have been people who have served. There have been people who have taken care of the poor in the name of Jesus. And, and these people understood that when the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit was then available to every single human being who would embrace the message of Jesus. In fact, down through the ages, there have always been people who have gotten that. A lot of people didn't. But some did. And you know what I love about you? <laughs> I love this about many of you. You get this. This is why you take an extra 45 minutes on Sunday, not to just meet here in this room, but you want to go to Sunday school and you want to learn more. Or you want to go to our life groups on Wednesday evening. You, you get it. You understand that when you meet, you are the church. You're the ecclesia. And when you gather together to serve people, you're gathering together as the church. And when you gather to feed our kids on Wednesday nights, you are the church. When you visit someone in the nursing home or the hospital, you are the ecclesia. When you text someone and lift their spirits, you are the ecclesia, the church. You understand that the church is not a location. It's not a style. It's not an approach. It's not a denomination. But it's about gathering around this one simple fact that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. He died on the cross for our sins. And He rose on the third day. And this is a message for the entire world. Man, I love the book of Acts. Um, You know, I think we're going to stop here. We're going to pick up next week so we can have a lot more time and uh, here's what I'd love for you to do thanks to uh, William Tyndale and others most of you have an English Bible you don't have to read it in Latin or Greek or anything like that but I would love for you to go home and at some point during this week pull out your English Bible and start reading Acts chapters 3 and 4 and just be prepared for next week and one more thing I'm going to quit after this uh, because if I get rolling again who knows what time we'll get out but but before we meet next Sunday could you just kind of get this in your mind Um, Ecclesia I think I've said this it's not about a building did I say that earlier it's about a gathering it's about a movement it's about an assembly and so um, could I just tell you don't just come to church be the church be the ecclesia be the ecclesia the gathering the movement the assembly that was launched because jesus resurrected from the dead and so this week let's be the church not here at the lord's house be the church where you are father i thank you for just some of the insight that you've given us through your word And, oh, God, I pray that you would just help us to be the church. Forgive us for taking the church so far away from it being a movement centered around one event, the resurrection of Jesus. And, Lord, we've transitioned it into control and hierarchy and power, manipulation, and a bunch of bad stuff. Lord, I thank you for the people here that get it. They understand that it's not just about coming here on Sunday morning. Even though I believe it's proper, we see that the early Christians met on the Lord's Day, which is Sunday. Lord, we thank you for the privilege of coming. and We're encouraged with our music and singing and just fellowship and Sunday school and all of that. And, but Lord, help us to understand that 
that, that's not the ecclesia. It's just a building. Or as someone said, it's just a sheep shed. <laughs> Where your, uh, your sheep come together. And I thank you for this beautiful building that you've given us. It's amazing. And yesterday for a wedding, people came in and just, some of them kept commenting, what a beautiful building, what a beautiful, and, and it is, but Lord, this isn't the church. It's just a building, just a sheep shed. But I pray that we would understand that church is really when we gather wherever, give a cup of cold water in the name of Jesus, when we text someone and lift their spirits, when we go and pray with someone in the nursing home. It's a movement, Lord. It's a movement that is taking the gospel to Jerusalem, which for us, that's Elder Springs, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Help us to understand that, Father. Lord, help us to have the power, tap into that power that you gave at the day of Pentecost. Oh, God, I pray that you would give us. We don't need another day of Pentecost. We just need to live in the power of that one. And, Lord, the power that was unleashed at that point, I pray that we would access and Lord, you would give us that power, not so that you could bring attention to us, but Lord, it's all to bring attention to you and so that people will see that Jesus is alive. And so God, as we go from here, would you give us just that opportunity to, to be the church to someone that's in need? And Lord, as we read Acts chapters 3 and 4, I pray that it would be so rich and Obviously, I'm not going to be able to cover everything, but Lord, I pray that you would just help as we read your word, that it would begin to click and God, that it would be powerful in our hearts and minds. Thank you, Father. We love you. We ask this in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. And again, all of God's people said, amen. Be the church. This is the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. You've been listening to the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. Our messages are archived at www.eldochurch.com or to order compact discs or DVD videos of the messages, call the church at 417-876-2200. Thank you for listening.